morning, good afternoon, good evening, welcome, whatever time of day you're listening, thanks for taking the time to listen to Keep It Renal. Today I'm going to be talking to Miranda Scanlon and Cola Ponley, who are members of the Lay Advisory Group. And Miranda Scanlon is actually the Lay Advisory Group lead, so we're in good hands. And today we're really going to be getting grips with what the Lay Advisory Group is, what they do, what they exist for. You'll hear from Miranda and Cola that the Lay Advisory Group help the charity in, in all aspects of their work. Um, but today I'm going to be focusing on the Lay Advisory Group's role in funding research. We're going to hear from Miranda and Cola what exactly their role is in reviewing grants that are sent into Kidney Research UK. And for the other scientists and researchers that might be listening to this podcast, I really wanted to know from them what made a good grant application, what they like to see, um, and what they can smell a mile off in terms of people just paying lip service to involving patients in their research. Hi, I'm Miranda. Um, I was diagnosed with polycystic kidney disease when I was 18. I had an increased loss of kidney function from my early 30s onwards and then had a living donor transplant for my sister in my early 40s. That was 15 years ago now and touchwood, all going well. Um, Career-wise, it's been quite varied. I've got a PhD in genetics. I've got a chartered accountancy qualification. Uh, for the past 20 years, I've mostly been working in the area of maternity care as a service user representative and then later as a service user researcher. And during that time, I also did some lay rep work on renal clinical guidelines just because of my, my medical history um, and on shared decision making. Um, but I've uh, sort of moved moved across really from maternity now and I've just taken up quite new in post as the lay advisory group lead at Kidney Research UK. Hi, uh, um, my name is Kala Ponley. Um, my story started in 2007 um, when I suddenly developed incredible high blood pressure. Uh, I went to the hospital and I was told my kidneys were failing. I had my first transplant in 2000, later in 2007. But unfortunately for me, the kidney failed like two weeks after transplantation. And unknowing to me, I had a genetic um, disease called AQS, atypical hemolytic uremic syndrome. And it's a very rare disease that affects maybe one in 1,000 people in the UK. And when I had my second transplant in 2014, um, they discovered that was what was wrong with me. And uh, the kidney lasted for about four years and failed in 2018. And as a result, I'm back on dialysis. Um, so that's my story in a, in a nutshell. And I joined um, the, um, the lay advisory group of uh, Kidney Research UK um, because it gives me the opportunity to have my say in the way that um, kidney research uh, performs their operations and help improve treatment for kidney disease. Okay, well, first of all, could you define patient involvement and engagement for us? I know there are a few different ways of interacting with patients and research, uh, and these terms aren't necessarily uh, interchangeable. So could you take us through those, please? So some people get a bit confused between patient involvement, patient engagement, and patient participation. And there are a number of definitions. So I have a sort of particular working definition, which I hope people generally agree with. 
Um, so patient involvement is really about sort of collaboration, co-production, partnership. Uh, whereas patient engagement, I, I see as being sort of more sort of moving out to get the views of patients and bringing them back in. So I, I kind of like to use the, the burger and chips analogy so that patient involvement is where, you know, you're part of the burger, you're layered up with the burger and the tomato and the cheese, you're, you're part of that. Whereas patient engagement is a bit more the chips on the side. Patient participation, which is often, it's sometimes used, would you like to get involved in research? And then you go, yeah, well, come and we'll take your blood off you and experiment on it. That's not patient involvement. That's patient participation. That's being a subject of research. So I was involved in a um, study where I had to change. I took a different formulation, my immunosuppressants. And then I took them at a particular time, went to the hospital, and then took my blood every half hour, then every hour, all day. I was in the hospital all day. I, I, was a, I was patient participation. I wasn't involved. I wasn't engaged. Involvement is being in the room with the project team, the researchers. Being patient engagement is being in the next room, being asked your opinion about something and, and then it being brought back to the main room and participation, being in the clinic and having something done to you is sort of my sort of summary of those things. And quite important. Some projects will have all of those things. Some won't have the participation, but all of them should have the involvement and the engagement. Yeah, that's great. So so I, I think the main point of this episode is to really um I suppose it's to inform scientists a bit more um, purely because it's hard to know what patients want and it's hard when that some grants sometimes the research lend themselves quite easily to those sections on the grant application whereby uh, I don't know if, it, if it's about an exercise regimen why around your dialysis then that's quite easy to relate to patients and how it could help them you know as soon as that study's over whereas if you're doing a bit more um I, I don't want to maybe speculative maybe really early days testing the potential of a drug you know chance start it might not show anything that doesn't mean it wasn't worth doing but the the rewards are sort of a bit more nebulous how on earth do you guys um make decisions between those two pathways because it it's really hard isn't it it's sort of a constant risk reward in that the the riskier ones a potentially more high reward but a definitely more long term I don't know I, I, it would I think it would really help through this episode and I'll edit down this waffling but the, the point I want to make is there are some scientists that I've interacted with um, who see it as a bit pointless you know they're, they're doing molecular biology they think there's no way I can ever get this across to patients and I just think that's a bit defeatist so what I really want to do through this podcast is try to help people help other scientists realise it's not pointless and it's definitely worth spending time on that. So, so what sort of thought processes do, do you have as a, as a group when you're, when you're making those sort of decisions? To, to either of you, whoever wants to go first. Well, can I just say, first of all, that you don't have to be on the lay advisory group of Kidney Research UK to get involved in reviewing research proposals. Um, we have a team we of um, research network volunteers so it's too it's basically too much for for the lay advisory group to do because we have you know kidney research uk has so many applications and you know this small team couldn't do everything so there's a there's a, a lot of research network volunteers who do lay reviews um, and then the sort of different layers until at, at the top or should we say when, when the actual sort of funding decisions are made we have um experienced patient representatives 
on those panels sort of as, as equals with with the scientists um so it's it's not anybody who's alone it's not just the scientists who are doing it it's not just us who are doing it so we work as a team um and we input all of those ideas so to some extent the the lay reviewers don't need to to be the sole arbiters of whether research is worth doing um obviously a lot of the you know you have we have people who are you know very experienced in different fields who who might lead on reviewing proposals and they will review the science part of it for us um obviously we can't expect the lay reviewers to have detailed knowledge of molecular zebrafish you know models or you know which wild type you use you know that's well, and bit. rightly so the scientists i wouldn't be able to review some of those grants you know it's all very niche isn't it that's it and so we do we do take some of our lead from from what they say also some of what they say about clinical applicability somebody might be proposing um some sort of new technology which they say will will revolutionize you know care and the clinicians will say well actually we wouldn't use it like that that's not what we do and that's really helpful input for us so as, as lay reviewers we don't need to know that but also as lay reviewers we kind of like to see our lives reflected in the research somehow so we have to feel connected with it somehow that there's that ultimately there will be some patient benefit and as you say it might be quite a long way away um, and obviously things that you can you can see as you say these sort of exercise re, um, regimes you could you can very easily connect with those and you can see yourself in them and it's, it is much harder to see yourself in in a molecular model of cyst formation or whatever yeah. it is um, but on the other hand I have polycystic kidney disease and which involves cyst formation and you kind of think well actually for you know, future future generations, understanding how that works may well lead to treatments to be able to prevent it. And yet, therefore, you can see the applicability of it, even if it's a long way in the future. Mm, I agree. I agree with um, Miranda on that one. Uh, for me, uh, patient involvement cannot be underestimated. Um, I mean, if, if scientists take the time to break down the methodology and research approach and the benefit of that research to patients. Uh, it will give patients hope, even if they're not around uh, at the time, to take benefit of that kind of research. Being involved in it is, there, is our own simple way of ensuring the future generation have the perfect form of treatment possible. And being informed and given the the opportunity to making uh, to make decisions on how uh, and when that kind of research can be beneficial is something that will um, have some form of value and hope to patients undergoing kidney disease. So scientists must try as much as possible to emphasize the importance of their research or what their research would, uh, the benefit of their research in the long term. I mean, take for example, the, the situation with the COVID-19 um, vaccination. Some people are hesitant because perhaps they feel not involved in the process and they feel everything has been fast-tracked, but if there had been a more measured approach to it and information has gone out into the research, perhaps the hesitancy would not exist. And that is probable 
with kidney patients as well. So involvement in research is important. I mean, scientists, any serious scientist should realize that. Um, there are complexities in the science, but there would be simplicity in its explanation that they can come, come up with to, to gain the required support. So that's, that's what I feel. And I agree with Miranda with everything she said. I think those are, I think those are both really excellent answers, actually. And when you were talking then, Cola, I was just thinking about... Um... Yeah, one of the main things that made me decide to do this podcast was the sort of philosophical thought experiment of thinking about Mary's room. She's a scientist and she works on colour and she knows everything about the colour red. She knows the wavelength of the light, how your eyes can see, can detect red light and how your brain perceives it but she's never seen it. She's in a completely black and white room. She doesn't, doesn't know what it looks like. And the point is that if she stepped out of the lab that she works in and saw the colour red, she'd instantly know infinitely more. And it, and it sort of speaks to, I think, the, the patient experience in that if, if you're a, a kidney scientist, you know, for instance, I, I, I spent 10 years working on FSGS. And I, could, I could tell you a lot about FSGS and how it works, I don't have it um and that's a that's what I was going to say it's a big part of the experience it is the entirety of the experience um so yeah I, 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 and this whole podcast series what I suppose in particular this one is is just about marrying those two cultures how do you really tell the difference between a really sort of integrated approach where you, you can really get the sense that they want to bring patients along with them on the research project and the type of scientist who's just been like this will please the lay advisory people full stop yeah, sometimes they don't even go, this will please the lay advisory people. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and let me tell you, we can tell the difference between the people who've spent a long time doing it and who have, in fact, fully integrated patient involvement into their proposal and the people who've left it till the last minute uh, on their grant. Um, so some of the things we're looking for are uh, a clear lay summary so a plain English summary um, that's not a sales pitch some some people use that to try to persuade the lay people that this would be a really good project <laughs> to fund without actually telling us anything about it except how brilliant it will be um, so we want a, a clear lay summary that actually goes into some detail about what they're planning to do how they're going to do it but explaining it in language that we can understand and avoiding medical jargon as, as or scientific jargon as far as they can we're often looking well we are looking for early patient involvement and we're looking for real patient involvement quite often you get um people referring to a sort of institutional patient and public involvement group um who exists but you can see that they've and they might say that they they told them about their proposal, but you can see there hasn't actually been any kind of real conversations, real um, collaboration over, over a research proposal. Um, and what we, we are looking to see is what has been the impact of that early patient involvement on how they put the proposal together. And maybe there's been none, but you know maybe maybe the patients weren't very helpful but it's actually quite good to say that so that we know that it's it's happened some people put in quotes um of what patients said when they talked to them about the proposal and that's helpful as well we're also looking for a plan to have continued 
patient involvement throughout the project. That might be by having patients on the steering group. Um, it might be, or a patient advisory group or a, or a whole study advisory group. It might be plans to involve patients in developing patient information sheets um, or designing questionnaires or testing questionnaires. Um, and we're also looking for a sort of bi-directional, I call it, patient engagement so that uh, you're not just looking, quite often they, they explain how they're going to tell patients about the work they've done, the results they've got and how important it is, but without any sort of capacity to get feedback from those patients. Um, so, so we're looking for, for real engagement. Um, the other thing that I find uh, really telling is whether it's been costed into the proposal. Um, if, if somebody has taken the time to say, you know, the, the patient public involvement is, it's a line on our budget. Uh, we've worked it out. It's going to cost us this much. And this is the cost of providing refreshments. It's pride of, um, we've used involved guidelines to talk about, you know, paying people to come for a half a day workshop. Or alternatively, if they think it's not going to cost them anything, to put that in, to say, actually, we've got volunteers who are willing to do it for free, therefore we haven't put it into the budget. Or if somebody else is going to pay for it, sometimes they have resources, you know, within a departmental budget to pay for the PPI, um, to say that as well. Uh, I always, when somebody's put in how they're going to fund it, you know that they're actually <laughs> a little bit Yeah, well, they've got down to the nuts and bolts of it, haven't they, of how will this actually happen, rather than it being some far-off fantasy that's yeah, <laughs> yeah that's a yeah that's a really that's a really telling point actually I can see your accountancy coming in there <laughs> how about you Colin what are the sort of red flags I can I can only buttress what she said um from a personal experience um I live in Cardiff and I I am responsible um I'm responsible to the University Hospital of Wales in Cardiff. That's where I get most of my treatment. And I am familiar with majority of the doctors and um, consultants that are in the uh, nephrology department. And just to buttress what Miranda said, I remember sometime in 2018, um, I was approached by um, nephrologist, uh, Dr. Sean Griffin at the time. And she was looking at setting up um, a research uh, to improve transplant opportunities for patients who was highly sensitized. Um, and I'm one of them because one of my major difficulty in my first and second transplant was I'm very, my, my antibodies are very sensitive. So to find the right match for me was uh, sort of a daunting task. It was not impossible, but it took a while. And when she wanted to, uh, when she wanted to, when she was conceiving the idea for this project or this research, she had a long chat with me. She gave me lots of literatures to read about what a proposal is, what the aim and objective of that proposal is. Um, she also got me involved with the patient information sheet that she was preparing. So there was a lot of um, involvement from that perspective. I mean, she was really keen on letting me know what my views are, that this is going to be beneficial. Is this something that I think will help me in further transplant treatments? 
Uh, I'm sure she must have gotten a grant now because I'm a member of the um, Technical Steering Committee for for her research. And I'm sure, uh, I haven't seen what proposal she gave in when she was applying for the grant, but the grant is obviously in place. And I'm sure that kind of involvement would have been reflected in the summary that she has presented. And I think that just adds to the relevance of getting patients um, involvement in the grant proposal, because it would make people in the lay advisory group like Miranda and myself understand what um, that is just not, a, she just didn't come up with the concept. She actually looked at it from the practical angle and benefits the patients. So Miranda is on, on, on point. And you would know when you see a summary of patient involvement compared to when you see a summary that looks like a sales pitch because the, the language and the description will be more personal than technical in nature. And that's what I feel really. You want people to do this, but you want people to do it for the right reasons. But if that has to start with, you need to do this to get your funding, and then hopefully over time it engages uh, people's attitudes a bit more. Yeah, I work in Bristol, um, and I worked most of my time here for Moyne Saleem and with the Nephrotic Syndrome Trust. We do patient days with Kidney Research UK and with the Nephrotic Syndrome Trust and other charities. I think when you come from that kind of environment, you assume that it's happening everywhere. It's got to start with the patient involvement and then you describe your patient involvement on your proposal rather than saying, what do we need for the proposal? Oh, we're better pop off and talk to somebody. And, and it's about embedding that uh, into, your, um, into, your, into your project, into your research. And, and I think in order to do that, it's, it's really important that people understand the benefits that they will get from it because it's not just a tick box exercise. And if, if they make it into a tick box exercise, they will be missing out on the, on the joys of, of having patients involved and what they bring to a project. And I mean, you were talking earlier about uh, the, you know, the, the, the lab-based scientists who, um, you know, the, the, the people who are living in black and white, um, who, who haven't, haven't stepped outside. And do you know what? When you see the colour red, it's it's amazing. And you know, and you can sort of say, yeah, we've we've talked to some people who've seen the colour red. You know, it's not the same. You know, <laughs> go go and talk to the patients. You know, you can. Uh, you know, some some researchers say. I mean, there's actually a report on the the purpose of public and patient involvement in lab based research, um, which we might be able to provide a link to. Um, where they did a, some looked at case studies of, of, of this type of thing. And the, the researchers sort of basically sort of said it really opened my eyes and actually talking to these patients, real patients living with the condition that I'm studying. You know, on, on the difficult days, it really motivated me to keep going. You know, lab work can be really boring. I've done some of it myself, you know, <laughs> endless pipetting, you know, in your white coat. Yeah. <laughs> why am I why am I doing yeah, yeah. your results go wrong and you know just think oh and actually if you if you know what you're striving for if you understand the difference that it might make you know to the daily lives of patients you know maybe that's enough to just get you out of bed in the morning and, and keep you going 
Um, it can also raise awareness of your research. If you've got patients who know about your research, they can talk about it. You know, you, you raise the profile of what you're doing. It can provide a link with, with funders. Um, uh, and, and you can develop relationships with the patients so that ultimately when you do get your fabulous results, you know, they're all out there singing your praises, you know, getting your research implemented into policy and practice. Um, why not get them on board at an early stage? You know, don't just, it's not just a tick box exercise on that grant proposal. It's, it's real and it's important and helpful and motivating. Do you have any thoughts on that, Carla? I agree, she's eating all the points. She's taking the words out of my mouth. Uh, like she said, I mean, patient involvement is also a form of accomplishment, not on the scientist side, but on the patient side. I mean, we all have a need to be, um, there's no selfless good deed, like, like people say. If, if I'm giving you my opinion about your research and your research comes out to be something that's actually a permanent way of improving patient's treatment, I will be very happy with that. I mean, the satisfaction I get as a patient, I mean, I know it's your name on the research, but I can tell people it's my contribution that made that happen. And it's a way the scientists and researchers from the grant they get can give back to the patients to say, you know, you said you wanted this. I had the discussion with you on this, and your your contribution has actually made this happen. And that is a reward. I mean, you have a life-threatening disease, and in spite of that, you're able to help the scientists come up with a solution. I would be proud of that. And I think that's one of the reasons why scientists were genuinely uh, looking for ways to help improve our lives can give back to us. They shouldn't take that opportunity away from us. It's like hogging all the glory and not allowing us to, to identify with it. So it's important. Yeah, Miranda is important. I have nothing to add. And, and talking about um, whose name's on the, on the publications, actually, when you've got real collaboration, real co-production, patient investigators on your team, then they get their names on the papers too. And that's, that's when you yeah. know. That. I will frame that on my wall. <laughs> well, you, should, uh, you should give Sean a bell and see if you're on any, any of hers. Because I've started to see that in papers. I mean, obviously I wouldn't know if, unless I knew the patient seeing their name on a list of authors, but I've definitely seen it in the acknowledgement saying that, you know, the, the grant was funded by whoever in collaboration with a patient group that they put together and then listed the names of the patients. So I think that, I think that is trickling down. I think it's really important too. It sort of makes me think of, um, you know, silly example, but like, you know, if I hurt my hand as a kid, I'd go to my dad and say, oh, you know, I've hurt my hand. And his solution would be, well, I'll chop it off, you know, just joking. Now that solves the problem. <laughs> well, it's a bigger one, but you know, that it's a silly example, but actually, you know, it does speak to the research, doesn't it? If we're not engaging with patients and we think, right, well, this is what I think the problem is and this is how I'm going to solve it. Actually, a patient might look at that and say, yeah, that's not really what the problem is though, or yeah, it solves the first problem but causes a bigger one. Um, so yeah, it's, 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 it's lunacy that it hasn't happened. But then maybe that just speaks to the environment I've matured in as a scientist, that it seems crazy to me it isn't already 
more established but then yeah. that's probably just that uh you know organizations like yourselves are doing such a good job at promoting it yes I mean I think I think it's coming and I have to say that in my previous work as a um in, in maternity I was a what they call a service user researcher I was a co-investigator on a it was a in fact a big routinely collected data linkage project and I was one of the two one of two PPI co-investigators uh, and in fact we wrote up our work about service user involvement in that project and we had sort of three tiers of of user involvement so we had co-investigators on the project we had uh, we call them service user representatives representatives uh, on the study advisory group and then we also did a series of workshops where we went out in, and engaged with other maternity service users and we were able to facilitate that um, and, and take that back to larger sort of data research team. And we were able to sort of bridge that gap between data research and the lived experience of, of women, uh, you know, uh, having maternity care. And I, I see no reason why that can't happen in renal research as well. Yeah, not at all. Uh, I agree with that as well, yeah. From a personal point of view, and, and tell me if this is too personal, do you find it empowering at all that you, that you have these roles? It's, it's not a personal question. It's um, about empowering. I wouldn't use the word empowering, though. Empowering means you're probably fitting in control. I would say it's more collaborative than empowering, more, more like partnership. Yeah, that, it's a... It's a really interesting question. I suppose I've been do, doing sort of doing this for so long that it becomes a way of life eventually. Um, and but obviously, you know, I I have had a kidney transplant. I am on you know various medications. Uh, I do. I'm particularly at the moment where you know immunosuppressed people are have a very different way of life um, to how how I lived two years ago. Um, so I have to say it is really fabulous that I can sit at home, never see anybody, never go out to a restaurant <laughs> or a pub, <laughs> never, never hug anybody. Yeah. And yet can hopefully make a difference, um, to, to not so much my life, I suppose, but 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 patients' lives generally, future generations going forward. And in doing that, as you say, you know, have some sort of real sense of, of value of what I'm doing myself, that that what I'm doing makes a small difference, hopefully will make a bigger difference. Um, yeah, so I think that, I mean, there's definitely, uh, I, th I think for a lot of patients, it you know, it gives us hope to see uh, these research projects and frankly to see the, the dedication of scientists and particularly I've seen it during this, this sort of um, development of COVID vaccines and you know to, to see how much hard work and dedication we've the researchers the clinicians charity staff put in to making our lives better is absolutely phenomenal so yes I do uh, get a lot of joy from what I do. I think there's a lot to be said for um kidney research uk in all of this in that um they really foster a sense of community um you know like i suppose there is a term renal scientist but i think again that's pushed by kidney research uk and that you you're not 
I don't really see myself as a biochemist or I suppose that's technically what I am. I see myself as a kidney scientist. And I think Kidney Research UK have really, they've what's really pushed that along. You know, I when I finished my PhD that was Kidney Research UK funded, they talk a lot about the alumni network and the fellows network. And, you know, when you go to the fellows day, there's loads of patients there. In fact, it was, I'll leave this in the podcast because it, shows my naivety I the, one of the first talks I gave for the charity was a, a legacy event um and it was two there was quite a few patients there and their families and I was talking about FSGS and minimal change and in the literature it's sort of seen that minimal change is a less severe nephrotic syndrome um and I suppose that's perhaps true in black and white terms of, of the readouts. I said to this group of patients who were FSGS and minimal change patients, oh, you know, minimal change is less severe. And this guy rightly so interrupted me and said, I can tell you it doesn't feel less severe. And it, re- it really stuck with me that. But I mean, too right, too right you pulled me on that, you know, absolutely. And, you know, it, it, it was one of the best, it was one of the best comments I've ever had in any talk I've given in terms of like changing the way I think about things and look at things and communicate things thereafter in that what might be a throwaway comment a black and white sentence in a paper something I have no personal connection to actually gaining that personal connection albeit I couldn't tell you this guy's name but I certainly remember his face and I certainly (laughs) remember you know how upset he was that I just insinuated that his condition that affects him on a daily basis isn't that severe. You know, it sticks with me nearly every time I speak to an audience that is um, not just made up of scientists. And I even think it in the ones with the scientists to think I don't want to normalise that um, way of talking about these diseases. You know, just because we don't have them ourselves, we shouldn't talk about them in a way that we're completely disconnected from them. If You know, we want it to be a whole community approach to these things. Yes, and I, and I think that is one of the benefits of having patients involved a lot because, because then you think of those people and you think, well, what would they say? Or they review your paper for publication or you, you give them a little preview of your presentation and they kind of go, mm, you know, I wouldn't say that if I were you. Um, you know, and actually just bouncing things off your friendly patient, um, you know, is, is a good way of, of making sure that you don't make assumptions about about their lives and I, um, and I think you're right about the the community at kidney research uk as you say you know we the the fellows days and things have gone online now and they've got a series of four of those going on where people are presenting their research driving discoveries um so that's i think they've had two of them and there's another two to come that people can sign up for and also there are there's a, a community of patients there's the kidney voices group on facebook which is another way that patients and carers can connect with research. So there are opportunities for participation in research, for involvement in research that are posted onto that. And any kidney patient or, or carer can sign up to that and get those updates as well. So, and join a sort of community of patients interested in research. I think um, Kidney Research UK has been impeccable in the way that uh, they reach out to patients and families and friends and the community about their their research and i'm not just saying that because of this podcast the approach of kidney research uk to i mean to research is 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 a lot different from the other charities out there 
and they go beyond the research aspect of it and go into um, community involvement and patient participation with their families and all that. And I think that's really encouraging. Apart from that, with the new layout, with the new structure of the lay advisory group as well, they are breaking down responsibilities for members into specialized areas. So which means that if you're a member, you have to, you would be, you would identify to a specialized area of the lay advisory group that brings out your skills and experience and all that. And I think that is marvelous because for someone like me, I have something in my head that I think the that I think kidney research UK should be focusing on. So when I see all those specialized areas, I can easily identify to where I can contribute and sort of develop my own vision from a patient perspective that I would love to see kidney research UK, you know, do. And, and this is a new structure of the lay advisory group, which I really, really think I'm just not going to go out there saying I'm a member. I'm going to actually go out there knowing that I'm contributing. Um, to you know relevant aspect that I feel I can I can put my skills and experience into into action and so that is what sets Kidney Research UK apart from the other charities out there I mean other charities have their own vision and objective but I think for me I'm more comfortable in my role in identifying Kidney Research UK than any other thing at all because it gives me that sense of purpose. The, the role of the lay advisory group is beyond just reviewing research proposals. Um, obviously, overall, we're there to make sure that those affected by kidney disease influence the work of the charity, both internally and externally, so that we bring around about positive change to kidney health. So we're looking at prevention and treatments and cures. So within uh, the charity, we, we'd be advising staff or trustees uh, when a patient viewpoint is required or offering our own insight, um, commenting as sort of as patients. We've got quite a, a broad diversity of people on the lay advisory group, so we can bring a sort of range of perspectives. And then we are on various committees or work with departments within kidney research. So the research strategy, as well as the research grants, policy and external affairs, communications and marketing, and then externally, we sit on other boards. We might work with the um, UK Kidney Research Consortium uh, or NICE or the UK Kidney Association. We might reach out to other patient networks. And obviously, we act as charity ambassadors as we are now. Yeah. The way the network and the group is embedded throughout everything that kidney research does, you can see that it's part of their ethos much more than oh, something we should be doing. You know, the way, that, the way that you're involved in, in everything that the charity does. Yes, I haven't been in post for, for very long and it's quite a big organisation. It's taken quite a lot, long time to, to find out all the different parts of the charity and, and, it's, and it's changed. It's gone through a, quite a big period of change. Well, COVID aside recently with a, with a sort of new research strategy. And so that's been very, very exciting. It's interesting that, that what we're asking for in the research grants that we're asking for patient involvement, people, patients involved as sort of equals in the development of the, the proposal. We're mirroring that in the way that we review grants. And so we've got early involvement of patients reviewing them. We have the lay reviewers at the meetings with the scientific designated markers contributing 
on, on an equal level. So, so the lay opinion is as important as the scientific opinion. And if a project doesn't have the right Balance. lay involvement, it won't get funded, mm-hmm. even if science is good. And that's that's developing. It's quite new, but it's so that the, the structures within Kidney Research UK are changing along with what we're asking of the researchers. Correct. So which to me shows that real commitment. Yes. Yeah, so I mean, if you look at one of the Kidney Research UK research priorities, uh, which is called transforming treatments, and they're looking in transforming treatments at dialysis, uh, transplantation and med tech as three particular areas there that they're concentrating on and they're looking at each of those areas trying to sort of I suppose have a sort of holistic view of of, you know how do we how do we improve dialysis for example and so they're doing that by setting up research networks they're making funding available for that they're having fundraising campaigns based on it they're putting patient reps onto their clinical study groups relating to that they're having competitions to uh, encourage innovation so it's kind of a complete package and, and patients are embedded in that in that process. What should researchers be mindful of when involving patients? Firstly, just that obviously there are issues with involving patients. Um, aside from as we touched on funding, um, actually finding patients to recruit. There's a certain amount of admin that has to go with it. Sort of, you know, possibly, you know, organising meetings providing refreshments, following up with them. And I think there was also a a certain amount of sort of um, intellectual, possibly even emotional investment that goes with having patients on board. Um, You know, there's a a development of of sort of trust and respect. There's the possibility that patients might learn things in the the process about their condition that they would find upsetting. Um, So you might have to deal with that. patients get ill and sometimes actually die I mean it's it's what we live with that that is who we are as kidney patients um and so I think it's we so we talk about it saying how important it is but I think we have to recognize the human elements of involving patients they're they're real people who've lived through real experiences you know their their knowledge is hard won um you know, it's born of blood, sweat and tears and urine, a lot of urine. <laughs> um, uh, so I think to, to remember that and have that respect for patients and their knowledge and, and how they've come by it is really important. There, there is something I would like to add, talking about improvement to dialysis treatment. I mean, I go to dialysis four, no, three times a week, four hours each session. And... One thing I would like to see is reduced hours with improved carings. Um, I'm not saying, I mean, I've been used to four hours since forever, but I know that when dialysis started, it was way more than four hours. So there's been massive improvement in that particular area. And I would like to see in the future, even if it's not for me, but for future kidney patients where Dialysis would cut down maybe half the time and you still get the same amount of clearance. Um, It would make it less cumbersome because with dialysis, sometimes the emotional roller coaster, sometimes you're excited to be there, not like excited, looking forward to it, but you're indifferent. You're just, you know, it's just a normal day. And sometimes 
it can be overwhelming uh, in the sense that it's four hours and you find out that one four hour period is different from the other. It's, it's like I said, it's a roller coaster thing. So if it's reduced, it, it doesn't make it as cumbersome in certain situations that, you know, that it will be. Um, I would like improvements in reduction in hours with a more effective clearance on the block. That is what I look forward to in the future. So if anyone who's listening is toying with an idea around that, they should contact you, Cola, and get you get you involved in informing their, their writing. And there you go. There's a free invite for someone, basically. You can quote the podcast in your in your next grant. I'm sure that would be marginally acceptable, although much better if you contacted Cola directly. Yeah, I think having listened to a podcast on patient involvement is would be a good, good thing. Yeah, we'll see now if this is like the most listened to whatever you like right good (laughs) i hope you found that as informative as i did if you're a patient hopefully you found that great in terms of realizing just how interwoven the patient voices throughout kidney research you can i know we're all focusing today on the role of the lay advisory group in research but it's great to hear from miranda quite how well patients are represented at all levels of kidney research uk if you're a researcher be it a scientist or a clinician i hope you learned a lot about what good patient involvement and good patient engagement looks like uh, and we'll be including some of those strategies in your next grant application and who knows maybe they'll find their way to Miranda and Cola and they'll know you listen to the podcast not not entirely sure whether that gets you brownie points but it certainly can't hurt can it okay well thanks for taking the time to listen as ever if you'd like to get in touch you can use our twitter page which is at keep it renal or search for the keep it renal podcast on facebook and just let us know what you think uh, let us know if you've got any ideas for future episodes uh, and just let us know how we're doing but um yeah in the meantime take care and I'll see you on the next one bye